All right, we are going to go back to Revelation. So it's been, it's been about three weeks, and then uh, we'll be out of it again, obviously, next Sunday, and then we'll touch back in two weeks from today. So if you have your Bible with you, as you should, uh, turn to Revelation chapter 14, and we're just going to kind of dip into it right at the beginning. There's something... Uh, very significant here, as there always is in the Word of God. We're just going to be looking at the first five verses, so if you have your Bible, please follow along and stand as we read God's Word together. Verse 1 in chapter 14, And I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. Quite a contrast to the 666, isn't it? And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Isn't that interesting? The sound, all three of those different things combined. Something we can hardly imagine. And they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders, remember them, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. They are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the amazing images, the amazing pictures, illustrations that we have seen through these 13 chapters of Revelation. We thank you for the amazing picture that it gives us, Lord, of you, of Jesus your exaltation, your glory, your power, your majesty, your holiness. And we just pray now, Lord, as we look at these first five verses, the very beginning of this next chapter, that you would give us understanding, that you would take your word and that it would penetrate, speak to our hearts. We pray that your Holy Spirit would do that this morning that you would teach us. We pray together in the name of that standing lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the FBI finally dropped its case in the year 2016, making it then the un only unsolved act of air piracy in U.S. history. But the public's curiosity has never waned. In fact, a new documentary just came out July 13th on Netflix, and the most recent investigative book of multiple dozens published over the past 50 years just came out late last year. They all center on the whereabouts of one criminal man, the notorious D.B. Cooper, or Dan Cooper. 
It all began November 24, 1971, when Cooper purchased a $20 one-way, if you can believe that, $20 one-way airline ticket from our own Portland here to Seattle. Once on board, he claimed to have a bomb with him and asked to exchange the 36 passengers on the ground in Seattle and two crew for four parachutes and $200,000 in cash. Now remember, this was 1971. Taking off again in the direction, this is what the facts claim, of Reno, Nevada, he stepped out of the plane somewhere in our neighborhood here or in southern Washington, but was never, ever seen again. Now, only one thing surfaced in those years from 1971 to 1980. In 1980, you may well remember, an eight-year-old boy found $5,800 of his cash. It was confirmed by the FBI west of Vancouver on the banks of the Columbia River. But no other evidence was ever recovered. In fact, an FBI agent claimed that all of the evidence they have on D.B. Cooper and his potential whereabouts could fit in a shoebox. So what happened? What happened to the notorious D.B. Cooper? Is, is he alive somewhere selling D.B. Cooper t-shirts on Amazon? There's obviously lots and lots of people in the United States and all over the world who still want to know. But this kind of curiosity about outcomes, about whereabouts, actually, I believe, stirs our minds pretty consistently even much more closer to home. We wonder about a lot of people. We wonder what happened to them. You haven't seen them in a long time. How'd that work out? We might wonder about our longtime neighbor. How'd they make out when they moved across country? We haven't heard from them for a long time. Kind of lost touch with them. Wonder how that panned out. Or whatever happened to that waiter at our favorite restaurant that we got there and, and they just weren't there. They left the restaurant. We never found out where they went. I wonder why they left. I wonder where they went. I wonder how their plans worked out. Or that kind workmate who changed careers and then just kind of dropped off the grid. Are they okay? Did it work out? What are they doing now? What's the end of the story? What happened to them? Where are they now? What are they doing? Maybe all of this, all of these questions and these curiosities, maybe they even tap into our own uncertainties and insecurities about the future outcome of our own lives and the multitude of decisions and changes that we make. I believe the beginning of Revelation 14, where we just read the first five verses together, can speak to those questions with an exciting interlude of hope. Yes, another interlude. I believe this is the third one that we've come across in the book of Revelation. An interlude, interlude meaning a, a pause. It's almost as though the narrative is racing along and then we have a pause and God inserts certain things that remind us of amazing truths. But I believe that we see here in this interlude, this next one in chapter 14, and particularly in these first five verses, something that can give us great hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Remember the 144,000? Maybe when we just read these five verses, all of a sudden it kind of triggered a slight memory in your head. Wait a minute, 144,000. Now that sounds familiar. I remember them. Where, why do I remember them? Where were they? Who were the 144,000? Didn't we talk about them a while back? Yes. Back in chapter 7 in the book of Revelation. In fact, if you go back there, you, re you may remember beginning in verse 4, we read in John's revelation, I heard the number of those who were sealed. He heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe from the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. Of Naphtali, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. The tribe of Issachar, 12,000. Zebulun, 12,000. Joseph 12,000 and Benjamin 12,000 and then it ends in verse 8 in chapter 7 earlier in the book of Revelation. These were those who were sealed. So you add up all of those thousands and you come up with this number 144,000. 144,000 as we talked about it many many months ago sealed Jewish evangelists representing the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lamb of God, the good news of the gospel of salvation only in Jesus Christ in the midst of the tribulation period, in the midst of a world gone mad, an absolute rebellion toward God and his truth, as we've seen played out in the book of Revelation. Will you think about that again? We talked about this many months ago in chapter 7, that's an amazing scene. 144,000 Jews that are on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's tremendous grace. That is amazing grace. That's God's mercy. That's our amazing, faithful God who keeps his word. But then what happens after chapter 7? What happens to them after that? We don't get any follow-up interviews on Fox News, no social media updates, no prayer letter emails, greetings from number 132. We're left in the dark. And with all the exciting events unfolding in Revelation chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, likely we just forgot about them. They were, in a sense, upstaged obscured, sidelined, or so it may seem from the flow of the narrative in those chapters, but never, ever forgotten. Did you hear me? I want you to hold on to that thought. Never, ever forgotten. I want to take you back into the Old Testament for a moment. If you'll turn back to Isaiah chapter 49... I want to share something with you. Isaiah chapter 49, I'd like you to follow along with me. I'm going to begin in verse 14. It's not a lengthy section, but listen to this. 144,000 Jews in the tribulation period, the Jews who had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, but is God faithful? Does God forget 
Beginning in verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. That's man. God responds. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Beginning of verse 16. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. If you turn back just to a few pages in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 21, we read this. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. Now they show up on this interlude back in Revelation or fast forward in Revelation to chapter 14. We saw them last on earth in chapter 7. Right? They were sealed. They're, they're right in the midst of all that chaos and judgment that's going on on the earth during the seven-year tribulation period. Where are they now? Where are they in chapter 14? Well, what does the scripture say? And I looked, John said, I looked and behold. And behold is a very strong word in the Greek language. It doesn't mean I just saw something. It means I saw something and my eyes were riveted to it and it was something extremely, extremely important. And behold, the lamb was standing on Mount Zion. Mount Zion. Not the earthly Mount Zion, but the heavenly Mount Zion. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 22, we read this, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Mount Zion, the heavenly Mount Zion. Also confirmed by verse 3 in chapter 14. And they sang a new song where? Before the throne. Where is the throne? We've seen that word multiple times throughout the book of Revelation. In fact, it's one of the most used words in all the book of Revelation. Where is the throne? The, when John ever talks about the throne, he's always now in heaven. John goes back and forth. So we, we follow this narrative of judgment on the earth, but then we're back in heaven. There's these various interludes where we're in heaven. Whenever he mentions the throne, he is witnessing an, a heavenly scene. So the 144,000 saved Jewish evangelists in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, willing to suffer persecution on earth, are now, in chapter 14, in heaven. Breaking news, right? 144,000 gone from earth, but standing forever in heaven on Mount Zion with the risen Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is a fulfillment of their seal. Chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. They were sealed who were they sealed by? They were sealed 
The Greek tense is very important here. They were, they were sealed by somebody else. Somebody else did this to him, do, to them. God's very name, we are told, is written on their foreheads. Isn't that interesting? And as we were reading it earlier, I said, what a contrast to, we just looked at those who will take the mark of the beast, 666, in order to buy and sell. And those who don't take it are going to be starved to death. They're going to be uh, persecuted. They're they're going to be an attempt to wipe them off the face of the earth, to make life as miserable as possible for them. But remember, Satan is a great counterfeiter right? He takes everything that God does and he tries to make his own copy of it. He tries to mimic it, but it never works. It's always a lie because what? John 8, He's the father of lies. He's been a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies. He can't do anything inconsistent with his own nature, which is to what? Lie. So he's the great deceiver. But when God says, I have sealed you, chapter 7, While they're on earth, they're taking that sealing of themselves by faith. We belong to God now. But wait a minute. This world is insane. This world is crazy. Everybody is against us. Everybody wants to kill us, eliminate us. But we are sealed. We are sealed. Well, what does that mean? They're the property of God. Isn't that what he says? He says they're they're his property. They're the ones who follow the lamb wherever they go. These have been purchased from among men as the first fruits to God and the lamb. That's how we know they're evangelists. They're the first fruits. The first fruits mean there's more to come. So there's likely many who came to Christ because of their faithful witness on earth. And as described here, their their integrity and their faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ to follow him wherever they go. To not follow the pagan religions, to not follow the the pagan authorities and the threats and and to cower in fear and, and to be quiet. They didn't do that. They were faithful. God purchased them. They became the property of God. We do that with things that are important to us. We make marks on them. They they become our property. We want people to know who they belong to, right? We go out and we buy a Sharpie because it's indelible ink, because it's a permanent marker. Permanent marker, it says. I don't know, we might be able to contest that little bit of advertising blitz there. But when we want people to know that something belongs to us, what do we write on it? Property of our name, right? Return to, we want to make sure. You know, or sometimes we even use these return address labels on... uh, dishes and different things we don't want to get lost right we stick those things on there why because that's my property that belongs to me I want it back I want you to know who this belongs to and yet all of those things fade don't they 
The address labels eventually lose their stickiness or they fade, pages fall out, labels fall off, ink fades, even though it claims to be permanent. But when God writes, God wrote on their foreheads, God seals. Do you think that fades? Do you think God's ownership ever changes? Do you think he has a change of heart? He says, this one that I wrote on, I, <clears throat> I really need an eraser. I'm just disappointed. I think I made the wrong choice. God writes on their foreheads. Do you think that ink fades? Do you think that ownership fades? It's unchangeable. It's indelible. It's imperishable because they're not forgotten 144,000 sealed, the scriptures tell us. 144,000 safe in heaven forever. God keeps his promise. <clears throat> Even as the world seemed to fall apart around them, as their pain and persecution greatly increased, they remained faithful to him, and God remained faithful to them, delivering them home here in chapter 14. Rest of the story, what happened to them? What happened to the 144,000? Chapter 7, rest of the story, chapter 14. They're in heaven. They're on Mount Zion with the Lamb. You know, these past two and a half weeks have been extremely difficult for our family, for Lisa's family, for the Chin Chin family. Shocking, devastating, painful. But there was also a deep constantly flowing undercurrent beneath it all. Something that didn't necessarily follow the emotional roller coaster, the up and downs from day to day. Something that was rock solid and always stayed the same. In fact, I remember at the reception after the service, I heard it in the words of Chris Clark, who is a good friend of Paul's, since their early days in the Liberian jungle together, and he was kind of emceeing the reception. And at one point, he stopped in between speakers, people that were sharing. And his voice began to quiver, and he looked up, he looked heavenward, and he simply said, Paul, we will see you soon. Now, we are not the 144,000. They appear during that seven-year tribulation period, as I mentioned, a time I believe that no saved person in this room will ever see or experience because of the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But they are our brothers by promise. We live now in a hostile, do I need to even tell you this, anti-Jesus world. But what I do need to remind you of, lest you think otherwise, according to the scriptures, it's not going to get better. Sorry to have to deliver that news. Read the book of Romans. Read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But fast forward for a moment. The promise never wanes. If you know Christ, in this room this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have a doubt but you know Jesus Christ. You know the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. 
You know that you have been covered by his blood. You know your sins have been forgiven once and for all. You have trusted in his sacrifice on the cross. You know that without a shadow of a doubt. I'm not talking about Christian by association. I'm not talking about churchianity. I'm talking about you have been redeemed and you know it. Your spirit resonates with God's spirit and says, yes, you are one of the family of God. You are a redeemed, blood-bought child of God. You will be standing on the heavenly Mount Zion with the Lamb, singing your own new song. And I believe it will be a song that will be unique to you or unique to your family or unique to this group that no one else can understand because it's been our experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we will be singing that new song before the standing Lamb of God in the heavenlies on Mount Zion, and it'll be the greatest moment we could ever possibly imagine. How do we know it's going to happen? We're not the 144,000. But what did God tell us in the book of Ephesians chapter 1? Listen to this. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, you've been sealed. And you are the heir of a promise. No matter what goes on in this world, no matter what happens after we leave this place, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, no matter what happens to the economy, no matter what happens to the morality of our nation, you are sealed. That doesn't change your sealing if you know Jesus. And it doesn't change God's irrefutable promise to you. God made a promise, and God keeps his promise. God wrote their name, his name, on their foreheads, and he kept that promise. Do you know Jesus this morning? Then you are sealed until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is going to carry that out. If you could think of the most reliable person in the world, who would it be? Spirit of God. God himself. He keeps his word. He keeps his promise. I want to end our time with it. I have a little workout routine every morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning. And two days ago, I, was, I opened a kind of a Spotify music mix that's just a lot of they know the music that I like they probably know more than I want them to know 
But a song came up that I'd never heard before. And I really feel that it spoke to the very things that we've been looking at in God's word and been talking about. And even the experience that we've had over the last two and a half weeks. And so unfortunately, I can't sing that song for you this morning. And you're, you'll be glad about that. But we're just going to play it and put the lyrics up on the screen, and then that's how we're going to close. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll go ahead and play that song. And you, as you listen to the song and you read the lyrics, I want you to remember what we've talked about this morning. I want you to remember God's promise to you in the book of Ephesians and that we see played out in God's consistent, faithful character throughout the book of Revelation. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.